Hello listeners, this is Patrick Torres, the Artistic Director here at Raleigh Little Theatre, and I'm really excited to be bringing you a bonus episode of our podcast. The reason that we're giving of this little bonus episode to you is because we had a really amazing guest in town this week um, who agreed to sit down with me and talk to me a little bit, and his name is Mickey Rowe. He's a wonderful actor, and he was the very first actor with autism to play the role of Christopher in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. And since we're getting ready to produce that show, it opens January 17th of 2020, um, he agreed while he was in town for a conference to come and spend some time with me and just talk about uh, that show and his experience uh, being the first actor with autism playing the role and it was just such a great conversation and um, he's such a kind person and a wonderful artist and I just wanted to uh, get this podcast out there for you to hear Um, it was really a pleasure to talk to him but before we get to Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime we have other shows that are starting including A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder which opens on August 16th. And everything that the theater's up to, of course, you can find on our website at RaleighLittleTheater.org. And um, I wanted to ask you again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do and give us a good rating. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, but without further ado, I want to get you right to the conversation with Mickey. So I'm really excited to be here today uh, interviewing Mickey Rowe. Thank you for being here, Mickey. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So Mickey was the very first actor with autism to play the lead role of Christopher in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. And you did that at Indiana Repertory Theater and Syracuse Stage. That's correct. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you got that role uh, in, in, in that production? Absolutely. So there used to be an organization called Inclusion in the Arts. And really what they would do is they would advocate for actors with disabilities being cast in New York. Um, And they also, as part of their advocacy, had quite a large database. Um, Christine Bruno is the, I believe, the mastermind behind that. Um, Quite a large database of actors with disabilities that they would send out audition notices to. So there had sort of been a conversation happening in the theater community because of the Broadway production, and they were casting the tour at the time, I believe, about whether it would be valuable or important to cast an actor with autism in the role of Christopher. I think a lot of people were talking about, is it possible to cast an actor with autism in the role of Christopher? And Even if it's possible, is it worth it? Does it add value? Is that something we really want to do? Um, And so Broadway wasn't really sure about that. The producers weren't quite (laughs) sure they were ready to answer that question Mm -hmm. with confidence. But uh, Janet Allen and Bob Hupp, the artistic directors of Indiana Repertory Theater and Syracuse Stage, just jumped in headfirst. They were so brave. Um, They could have easily said, We'd love to do this 10 years down the line and cast the show in this way, but we don't know anything about autism right now, and we, we need to learn more about autism before we can commit to this. And no one has the resources or time for it to see that through. They didn't do that. They just jumped in and said, we don't know what we're jumping into, but yes, we can do this, and we're going to commit to it, trying at least. So they auditioned both actors with autism and actors without autism, and they reached out to... Uh, Christine Bruno uh, with Inclusion in the Arts, and she gave them my name. 
they let me videotape the audition from Seattle because I was living in Seattle, Washington at the time. And then they asked me, I think a week later, after getting my self-taped sides, whether they could send the director, Risa Brainin, uh, who was, at the time she was working at UC Santa Barbara, could they send her to Seattle to meet with me for an hour? So she came and we met for an hour. And I think a few days later, I got the call offering me the part. So that's how it came about. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so even in the book, uh, you know, uh, the author, uh, Mark Haddon, he asserts he didn't really write it with a very specific uh, uh, character in mind or, or a disability in mind. Correct. Um, but what is it about Christopher that you feel like is appropriate? Um, I mean, why do we all ascertain from reading the book and the script and yes. all that that he does have autism? Have autism? That is a good, qu- that is such a good question. You know, and I think what it is, is when, if you were to hand the book or the script of the play to any diagnosing doctor, any specialist in autism, they would immediately diagnose Christopher with autism. And the reason why is, um, I'm going to forget the name of this book, but there's there's a book that's basically the diagnostic Bible, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> uh, that um, has all these different checkboxed areas. So there may be three or four categories for autism, and then all these different things that might be possible checkboxes. And I know quite a few people on the spectrum now, uh, just from doing the show and getting to meet people all over the country. And most of the people who I know who are on the spectrum check different boxes to different degrees and uh, maybe don't check all the bo- check a lot of these boxes and not so many of these or check these boxes more more lightly and these boxes more severely and christopher is a really interesting character in that um he's very verbal obviously because he, he has i think most of the lines in the show but uh he checks probably every every he checks almost every diagnostic box and beyond that he checks it to the extreme Uh, So I think that is why whether Mark hadn't had access to that or was looking at any of those diagnostic tools when he was writing the book or not, or whether it was subconscious. um, The reason I think we identify Christopher as being autistic so much is just that he checks every single diagnostic box so thoroughly and fully. Mm -hmm. So when you got the role, so (laughs) you've met with the director, then you get offered this role. And you know that you're the first person with autism to play the role. What was that like for you? Did you feel a greater responsibility? Like going yes, into that process, how did you definitely. feel? Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting because it was, you know, it really thrust me into the role of being a self-advocate mm-hmm. and more than that, also representing my entire community. Because uh, all of a sudden I was getting to do interviews in the New York Times or uh, PBS or all sorts of different opportunities (laughs) that uh, there's so many really incredible, smart, brilliant people in the autism community who who can talk on these subjects so brilliantly. So for me to be the person who's getting that platform did feel like a big responsibility, but also an exciting responsibility. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the process of rehearsing and performing that show? Um, just yes. how difficult was it to kind yes. of live in that <laughs> space? You know, because I keep saying to folks around here, because we're going to do 
um, we are, you know, opening the show in January 2020, and you know we're going to do um, uh, sensory friendly produ- production of that show. Uh, it will be our first for yeah. adults ever. And I keep saying, well, you know, part of what's brilliant about the book and and also the play is that it really tries to cast those of us who are not on the spectrum. It tries to really demonstrate what an experience yeah. is like. And so almost doing a sensory friendly production is is tricky yes. because you you want to uh, soften, remove a lot of the elements that are kind of key to like having an audience kind of sure. experience what a day might be like. But for you rehearsing it, you know, with all of the elements that go into that process, what was that like? You know, the sh- strangely, I the show is very therapeutic for me, I feel, and mm. also in a lot of ways, I felt like I had the easiest job on stage every night. And there's a few reasons for that. You know, when I went to drama school at UW, uh, for four years, I had all my teachers always tell... A lot, of, a lot of people who are on the spectrum carry a lot of tension in their hands, or there's a lot of hand maybe movement or tapping or flapping. Uh, it's called stimming in the autistic community. Um, and... All my teachers said, you have to get rid of all that tension in your hands or you will never be castable. Mm. So no matter what the focus of the class was or what the project we were working on was, uh, for Mickey, for me, all the notes were always just, you have to be more neutral and more grounded, get rid of the tension in your hands, don't move around so much. Mm. And in Curious Incident, I got to let all that tension come back in a really easy, normal, comfortable way. And so I just got to be myself. And I got to move around all, the whole time, at, which felt very comfortable and natural to me. So that's one reason why. Also, I think, you know, Christopher is on stage literally the whole show. And I think there's something really liberating and easy about that. Because for the other characters, I think about Christopher's parents might have to have a scene or two step off stage and then they're poking around on Facebook or something for 20 <laughs> minutes on their phone yeah. in the dressing room uh-huh. and then just walk straight back on stage into the middle of like the most intense heightened emotional scene right. of the play and then walk off into nothing again you know mm-hmm. it's that's hard that is hard to do and emotionally taxing to do and Christopher, when I was Christopher on stage, I just had to walk on stage at the beginning of the show and invest into that first moment of the show, mm-hmm. which I won't say what it is because <laughs> hopefully people will come and be surprised. But mm-hmm. I just found that if, if I step into the, if I, if I really invest in the first moment of the show in a really true and authentic way, then all I have to do is stay on the bus and listen. And as long as I, as long as I'm listening, the bus is going to, take me everywhere I need to go. So I think my job was really easier than a lot of people's in that way too. And then therapeutic wise too, because you live that journey every single night uh, and you have to be so focused on some of your autistic symptoms that you might not have been as focused on before. So in my real life before, I would just stim when my body wanted to stim and it wasn't something I thought about so much. But when you're on stage, you have to be more specific about it because you you can either give focus or take focus by stimming or mm. put the button on the end of a comedic line to tell the audience when to laugh by stimming and then being really still for the last line. And so because I was so aware of 
all the things that I do in my real life. And also I got to get them out in such a big extreme way every night. Um, I thought that made my job easier too. So that's kind of insight into what it was like for me. The other thing that we did at Indiana Repertory Theater that was really helpful when we rehearsed the show is I got to the theater three days before our first rehearsal. Mm. So instead of my first rehearsal being in a room with 10 other actors and uh, all the donors and board members and designers and all of those people in the room, uh, my first three rehearsals were just me, the director, the stage management team, and the choreographer, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a nice transition into feeling comfortable in that room and in that space before we invite (laughs) everyone else to join in. So we use that time to choreograph really all the all the more physical pieces of the show. So that was nice for everyone too. It's nice for the theater to get those out of the way as well before having all those other bodies being in the room. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're committed to to having someone on the spectrum play Christopher here because we're a community theater and we feel like it's absolutely, you know, folks exist in our community who can do this so what advice do you have for us um, on how to make that a really uh, a great process for someone absolutely I think it's all about communication it's about communicating to those people that you are you value their lived experience and you value the voice that they can lend to that room um, and that you are start you as the people in power you as the higher the people who make the decisions about who who gets to be in the room you're the ones bringing up the conversation and saying this is something we value um and i think also though a big piece of it is communicating to the other actors that or maybe modeling for the other actors what acceptance looks like Mm -hmm. and that not everyone has to have the same process not everyone has to do things in the same way I think about the shows that I've been in where, you know, during a five minute break or a 10 minute break, all the actors will be around a table uh, chit chatting or making jokes with each other during the break or eating snacks and Mm -hmm. stuff together. And maybe I'll be off in the corner with my headphones on just being by myself. And I know in the past I've been made fun of a lot because I think because people thought that the reason that I wasn't talking to them or joking with them or doing that small talk with them was because I didn't like them or didn't want to be friends with them. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, but it's just that people on the spectrum don't know how to do that. So I think, I think maybe the biggest challenge is communicating to the other people in the room that um, it's okay to involve this person and include this person. And, uh, and if they are acting in ways that maybe you wouldn't expect or... Um, aren't hanging out or joking with you. It's not because they don't like you. Um, and they might be thrilled just to get to stand next to you at that table, even if they're not even if they're not verbally contributing to the conversation. They might be thrilled just to be passively getting to be in that room uh, listening to the conversations. Man, that's so helpful. It's so helpful <laughs> to hear that and to really think uh, about how, like, you know, we had um, in our production of Pippin that just yes. closed in June. Um, we really wanted that because that is a show about a theater community. We really right. wanted to be reflective of our community, and um, 
you know, really tried to engage uh, the disabled community in town in the process of that show. And we did end up with two gentlemen uh, uh, who were blind. Yeah. And probably my favorite moment had nothing to do with the show at all. Mm-hmm. It's just um, one of the gentlemen, his name is Robert, and he was in the ensemble. He started rehearsal one night. He just said, can, can I just have a minute to talk about how to be a sighted guide? Mm-hmm. Because we had, you know, folks right. helping them move around the space. Yes. Um, and, you know, for me, it was like important that it looked natural and they're part of the community and all that stuff. And I never thought about because it's not my lived experience. Yeah. There is a proper way to do that. Mm-hmm. So we spent like 10 minutes and all of us learning how to be sighted guides. And it was like That's the education so awesome. for us was so much more important than anything we were t- giving to Robert or Doug. You totally. know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was just like such a great communal moment it felt like that's what this theater exists for totally to learn stuff like that yes 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 and here's the other thing i'll do to help free you up a little more too i feel like any any show but especially shows that are about difference i think curious incident is often it's about you know it's about more than someone who's on the spectrum it's about a whole family and a whole community really um teachers and parents and all sorts of different people. But I think it's also a show about what makes people different. And that can, it can sometimes feel like it's about othering Christopher a little bit, um, which isn't always a bad thing or a horrible thing because people do have differences and uh, our lived experiences are all different and it's great to acknowledge those differences. I'm going to venture to say I'm so glad that you guys are so excited and uh, committing to trying to cast someone on the spectrum as Christopher. If that were not to happen, that would still be okay. And I challenge you guys to just make sure that there is someone in the room who's on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. whether it's a assistant stage manager or uh, even just someone who's uh, you know, on book for the actors or whether it's the someone else in the ensemble or someone who's playing Christopher's m- mother or father, mm. uh, just having someone in the room who's on the spectrum changes the conversations that happen in that room and changes the artistic decisions that are made on stage, I think. Because when you're making a decision about someone who's different and there's no one like that in the room... Um, those decisions come out one way, which is fine. And that's how most of Hollywood, you know, I think about the good doctor or atypical Mm -hmm. or a rain man. That's how Hollywood always makes decisions about autism. But I, I dare to say, I think that if, if you have someone who's in the room, who has a job in that room, who's not just there as a consultant, but just someone who's just a contributing member of that rehearsal room, who's on the spectrum, it's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to other Christopher or to other autism Mm. when there's someone in the room uh, with autism. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense at all. It does. It makes absolute sense. And I really appreciate you saying that. Totally. Encouraging us in that way because it's, you know, it's not something that we just generally think about. And I think you're absolutely right. When it's, Christopher's a hard role to cast at all. Like, it's just a, hard role to cast at any time so i think getting to think creatively about inclusive casting Mm -hmm. uh is 
is valuable and and also exciting and an exciting part of the artistic process that um it's so awesome and it would be so ideal to find someone to play christopher with autism but if you can't that doesn't mean you have to give up because uh there's so many other people in the room who get to contribute their voices to the play and get to have discussions about the script uh in that rehearsal room besides christopher so any one of them could be cast as someone on the spectrum too yeah that's amazing thank you for that yeah thank you for that i really love that and and we will commit to it um uh, kind of my last question about curious is um after after taking that journey so many times what did you learn about the play that you would like to tell those of us who are taking a crack at producing this thing oh man what do you love about it or what you learn about i don't it, it is just such a <laughs> It is a well-built little journey there, <laughs> that play. <laughs> what did I learn about? I mean, I think every night you learn something new. I, I feel like I made most of my realizations during scenes with Mrs. Alexander, because I think she's the one who really connects with Christopher the most, or at least our Miss Alexander was so amazing. I think she connects with him the most, and she is the most trustworthy person for him, because she's not his teacher, his family. Um, so that's where I made all my big realizations, I feel like. And Christopher as well, some of them. Um, yeah. But I think my favorite part of the show, without a doubt, is both when Christopher uh, first gets to go into the train stations and the subway stations. Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting and so much fun for everyone. Uh, but also... At the end, after after curtain call, there's another little a little secret a little secret that gets to happen after curtain call every night um, that people should stick around for, and that was one of my most fun pieces because by the end of the show, it is such an emotionally it is a roller coaster ride, and it doesn't necessarily end in the most sure-footed place. It ends with a lot of questions still, and there's still a lot of vulnerability and challenges left on the table at the end of that play. Mm-hmm. And so then to get to come back out and just celebrate uh, with that appendix mm-hmm. that happens after Curtain Call every night uh, made it feel really full circle and made it feel like it <laughs> the whole journey had been completed and there was a button on it, which was good. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But I, so thank you for all that. And we're really excited to be producing that show and, and scared. I mean, we're also a little terrified, you know, it's a, but aren't, aren't all the best shows a little terrifying too. (laughs) You're a little scared. You're in a good place. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the work you've been doing recently um, with the national disability theater. So tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So national disability theater, um, is really how man, I should be better at this elevator pitch, <laughs> but it's really almost, it's a collective of artists with disabilities. We have an incredible advisory company member, uh, advisory company uh, team made up of just some of the most talented actors with disabilities out there um, from Broadway and TV and all over the place. And basically, what happened is. You know, for a lot of people with disabilities, what we realized is there's a lot less opportunities and you would get cast in maybe one good role that was very specific to your disability 
And then there wouldn't be another show for you after that. I think about a quote that one of our advisory company members, uh, Maysoon Zayed, says, uh, which is, uh, if, if a person in a wheelchair can't play Beyonce, then Beyonce can't play a person in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But it basically just goes to show that oftentimes, if you were casting a person in a wheelchair, you would consider anyone for that part. But if you're considering casting a character that doesn't use a wheelchair, you would often not consider an actor who does use a wheelchair for that role. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to create some awesome theater that really changed the narrative on people with disabilities and changed the value statement that's put on people with disabilities. And we wanted to tell some awesome stories that were very inclusive of the disability community and told stories through a lens of disability culture, but where the people themselves were not about the disability, mm-hmm. where you got to see actors with disabilities being powerful or sexy or funny or smart, you know, just being, or being pains in the butt, you know, just being people. Right. Um, and we really also, there's a lot of incredible work happening all over the country uh, with inclu- disability inclusive theater. Um, but it often doesn't have the budgets or the um, notoriety that maybe a lot of the larger regional theaters have. So we decided that what would be best is if we tried to partner with some regional theaters and convince them to do a show where uh, at least the majority of the cast has a disability, where the designers have disabilities, the director has a disability, maybe even the writers of the plays have disabilities, um, and allow us to partner in producing those shows with them. So we've been so fortunate that the Goodman in Chicago and La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego came on board. And right now we are working on three really, really exciting projects with them. So we are creating uh, creating new scripts by playwrights with disabilities written specifically for a company of people with disabilities. Um, we have hired, we, we have sent out offers to uh, numerous designers with disabilities. We've hired a director with a disability and we're really excited to take the work that often has not gotten to be on those larger stages with larger budgets and put it there mm-hmm. and say that this is this is sexy work. This is awesome work and uh, almost make people jealous of, <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of it a little bit. So that's what National Disability Theater is. The other component in terms of audience access is in these shows. We want to take audience access services such as closed captioning or audio descriptions or things like that that are often slapped onto a show at the end after all the design meetings have happened after the show has been built um those get slapped onto the show almost as an afterthought and there's something that people have to opt into so if you are someone who wants to use captioning that might be something you would opt into um and we wanted to take these things and really reimagine them as artistic tools in the storytelling process mm. Because, you know, every show has a sound design, and why why not try to incorporate uh, some of the 
audio description into the sound design of a show and figure out how to make that exciting and professional so that everyone feels that it adds to the show, not just the people who normally would use uh, audio description. Or often shows will have projected elements or video elements in the show now. And what if the video designer or the projection designer conceived of the captions as an artistic element, as part of as just as artistic as the rest of the designs that they were creating so that um, maybe different, you know, words could float across the stage or uh, move around an actor or explode onto the stage in a really big way or so that we, we take the, we take the tools from the toolbox of audience access and reimagine them as storytelling tools and artistic tools. Oh man, that's, that sounds so groundbreaking. I mean, I, <laughs> because you're saying that, and I'm like, oh yeah, well, why didn't why, why not? Why right? don't we do that? <laughs> well, and it's it's easier to. I mean, it's really one thing we've been finding as we work with uh, La Jolla Playhouse in particular right now is often if you plan for inclusion and accessibility from the beginning, it doesn't cost more. It costs mm. time. It costs it costs man hours, um, but it often does not cost more money. Sometimes it does, right? There's always going to be something that might cost more money, but the majority of the time, for the most part, at least, um, it doesn't if you plan if you plan for it in advance. That's really interesting. You know, I think we live in um, a community here in Raleigh where I do feel like people, because uh, you know, there's some bigger theaters in town like us. Um, even as a community theater, we have a very large footprint, Absolutely. and we do a lot of work. Um, but there's a lot of independent. You guys do a ton of shows. But there's a there's a there's a lot of independent theaters. This yeah. is like a really rich theater community. Yes. Here. And you know, I I know because I know so many of the people running those that I do feel like everyone's heart is in the right place. And, Absolutely. Um, but we were kind of having a pre conversation where we were talking about like even audition announcements and what do you do and. How do you make sure that's inclusive? And you were saying um, that it's going a step beyond just making the statement. Can yeah. you talk a little bit to those of us that are practicing theater here in Raleigh, just about what what can we do to let the community know we're serious? And we- Absolutely. I, so one thing that we had talked about um, with La Jolla Playhouse, we, we're just finishing putting together a, um, a couple casting releases, casting notices with them. And... We were talking about how so many theaters now, inclusion is so built into the fabric of what it means to be doing theater in this country today, which is awesome. But it also means oftentimes, at least from the perspective of someone with a disability, um, if you see that statement on an audition, that we uh, encourage actors, um, we encourage actors of all ethnicities, backgrounds, orientations, and abilities to audition, it can seem just like a copy and paste statement uh, that doesn't necessarily have have teeth behind it. And so one thing we've talked about is how can we show people that we're serious? Because for someone with a disability, it is scary to disclose your disability to anyone, but especially scary to disclose your disability disability to an employer. So how can how can we as the people in power, the people who are helping to make hiring decisions, show people that 
we really do want them to disclose if they have a disability. We, if they have, if there is an accommodation that they need that would make their lives helpful, we really want them to tell us. And we're serious in valuing your lived experience and wanting to uh, make things more accessible for you. So what we found is helpful is to say, uh, please email us in advance if there are any reasonable accommodations that uh, we can make for you. And ex examples of some reasonable accommodations that we have made in the past include large print or alternative formatted texts or an ASL interpreter or even just down to assistance filling out the forms when you come into the uh, audition space. Um, and I think the, the, the list of accommodations that you include might be different for every theater because you want it to feel like something that's really doable for you. Um, but by listing some accommodations that you are prepared to make or have made in the past really shows people that you are serious and that you, you mean what you say and you're actually thinking about it. So, yeah, just being clear, I guess. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just like, it's funny because that makes so much sense, but we run so fast at so many right. things yep. that we that we don't think about the next step. Because I think people do mean the copy and pasted right. text. And then, you know, um, and then we all really do lament when we don't, when we don't have a diverse group of people show up. And yeah. so I, I'm really inspired by what you're talking about, um, about just taking that next step. Say, this is what we're willing yeah. to do. The other thing that we're doing specifically with National Disability Theater, because oftentimes people will have invisible disabilities that you might, if they're not in a wheelchair or using a crutch, you might not know that they have a disability. Even I think even people um, who are uh, blind or have visual impairments or people who are um, hard of hearing, there's so many different invisible disabilities. And those are especially scary to disclose. Um, so what we've been doing too with our work is putting some check boxes on, or La Jolla Playhouse for the things they're working on with us, put some check boxes on top of audition notices saying people can either identify as disabled, non-disabled, or prefer not to disclose. Um, but that's just one more way of saying we really value this. lived. This is something we are looking for and a, a lived experience we really value and that we... Um, we are the ones asking you so you don't have to feel awkward or scared about bringing up a disability because we as the hiring, the people making hiring decisions, we brought it up first. We were the ones to ask the question first. So it takes some of the pressure off the auditioner to decide whether or not to disclose that they might need an accommodation. Mm. That's fantastic. I mean, congratulations. And it just sounds so exciting. Oh, thank you so much. And so how do we find you? Do you have a website? Nationaldisabilitytheater.org is our website. Um, and you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by looking up National Disability Theater. That's great. And Mickey, I, again, I, as artistic director here, I get to meet so many amazing people and, um, I just, I, I even said to my family uh, yesterday, I was like, I get to I get to interview Mickey tomorrow. I'm oh. so excited. So I, I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm, I really appreciate you taking the time. And oh. I just believe as an artist, like, you know, we always stand on the people that came before us. So thank you for playing Christopher. Thank you for breaking oh, down that sweet. barrier. 
Um, I hope we do it justice when we have it. I'm again. sure you will. It's an honor to be here, and uh, and I can't wait to hear about. It. Make sure if I can't come in person to see it, that you post pictures and videos. I will absolutely do that. I Amazing. Do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my interview with Mickey. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed uh, speaking with him. Uh, and I also, I want to thank Sarah Corin from City of Raleigh Arts Commission for uh, setting this interview up. And we really appreciate her thinking of us and for Mickey taking the time. Uh, I really hope that you'll come check out uh, Curious Incident when it opens next January. But before that, I hope you enjoy all the other shows that we have for you, starting with A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which opens August 16th. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the theater.